You're raised as an athlete to fight back. So why all of a sudden, when you retire, do you stop the good fight? This is Finding Center with Nick Hardwick. Yeah, they read a headline. And if you're not going to let... Exactly right. Yeah. And, and that's, they don't know. They don't have their facts straight. They don't have their information straight. And I guarantee you, there's a there's a high chance that they don't want their son or daughter playing some type of contact sport. But I would almost put my money on it. They might, they're probably riding a bike without a helmet on. <laughs> there's a greater danger of a kid, you know, having serious head trauma or danger or death on a bike without a helmet, you know, or they jump on a trampoline or go on a roller coaster ride. I mean, all of those things could be dangerous for your kids. Of course. Um, so the best part is to really understand, you know, if it does happen, ways that we can take care of it. And, and it's our responsibility. My whole goal with this whole agenda, and this this isn't this isn't the start of it. In 1989, I did a helmet safety campaign with Jose Chico Lean, who was a, a pirate, and Zarley Zalapsi, who was a hockey player in Pittsburgh. The helmet safety campaign we launched on the Today Show. After we played the New England Patriots on a Sunday afternoon, the campaign was to encourage parents to put helmets on their kids when they rode a bike, rollerbladed, or skateboarded. Hey, guys, it's Nick. Hope everyone out there is doing well today. Thank you so much for the time that you've been given the Finding Center podcast. We hope to be giving you some critical information and perhaps inspiration to use on your journey towards health. If you have any recommendations at all or topics or people that you would like us to cover or interview, please DM me at Nick Hardwick or at Finding Center Podcast and I will do my best to get back to you. Any questions as well, I love hearing from you guys. You know, as far as health goes, here's a game I like to play. I like to think about my life in reverse. When I'm in my 80s, 90s, and even into my 100s, that's right, I said it, I'd love to be 100 years old, but only if I can do it with health. I want to be able to look back and know that I did everything possible to stave off neurocognitive decline. I want no regrets. As Dr. David Hazy said on one episode, the difference between being old and being an elder is retaining your wisdom. If we allow ourselves to slip physically, mentally, we are going to struggle as well. And with mental decline, we lose the essence of the person and all of that accumulated wisdom. What a shame. Dr. David Hazy says we should rage against that. I totally agree. If you're new here, the Hardwick family, we've announced a new supplement line with our name on it. It's called hardwick.life. It's like hardwick.com, but instead of .com, it's .life. My family has been taking these exact pharmaceutical grade supplements for several years now. We love what they have provided us. Our philosophy is to do everything within our power today to ensure that we're giving ourselves the best chance possible of living a fulfilling life. Hardwick.life is centered around taking care of the fundamentals of health through an active lifestyle, getting proper nutrition and supplementation to boost our immunity and protection for the areas in our lives that need special attention. My goal is to restore brain health for a lifetime of running into other giant humans over 30,000 times. That's right, 30,000 head hits. That, as well as looking after my heart, which also I'm sure came under some damage being big and then getting small. And I also have a family history of heart disease. Those are vital for me. Jamie's concern is her immunity and her gut health. That's why she loves the foundation life and gut life. 
Whatever areas of need or concern you have, hardwick.life has you covered. Be sure to subscribe for 15% off and free shipping. When you do that, you're going to also get access to our simple family-friendly recipes to help get you started or keep you on track with your health journey. We are hardwick.life, foundational elements for a fulfilled life. Check us out. And now at hardwick.life, we've also secured partnerships with some really cool products that may be of interest to you at some really great prices. And try these ones out. The greatest meats ever. Seriously, the greatest meats ever. Bel Campo Meats. Check out the Anya Fernald podcast. How about this? The Woot Fitness Tracker Strap to optimize your training, recovery, and sleep. All of the Julian Bakery products, the great assortment of egg white and grass-fed beef protein products that they have, the PowerDot muscle stimulator for increased performance, and of course, my friends over at Bubs Naturals. Be sure to check out all of these premium products at hardwick.life. Also, guys, you know this. If you follow my stories on Instagram, at Nick Hardwick, then you already know I post almost every meal that I eat. I do it to show that health and maintaining a fit and active body and lifestyle it's no trick, guys. It's consistency, consistently making good choices. One thing I've put into my body consistently since the company was founded in 2017 is Bubs Naturals Collagen Protein and MCT Oil Powder. One way or another, I have used Bubs religiously, daily. I swear by it. These days, since talking to Doc Amon, I have cut out coffee, but I still put the bubs in a protein hot chocolate that has been giving me my morning fix. I love it. It makes it creamier. You're going to love it too. As I know lots of you have taken me up on the recommendation. Jamie swears by it. She has a bit multiple times every single day. No other collagen brand can claim to be 100% NSF certified and donate 10% to charity. That is awesome. If you're in the San Diego area, Bub's products are now available at all Barron's markets. Stop in and pick some up today and see how conveniently health can fit into your life. If you don't have a Barron's near you or don't want to go to the store right now, I get it. Order it online at bubsnaturals.com. That's bubsnaturals.com. Use the code HARDWICK20 for 20% off that order at bubsnaturals.com. Hey guys, joining us today on the Finding Center podcast is Merrill Hodge. Merrill was an NFL running back for eight years for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Chicago Bears. Merrill retired after the 1994 season. You're going to hear this in the interview as the first person forced into retirement due to post-concussion syndrome. He went on to become an analyst for ESPN. I'm sure many of you have seen him since 1996. You still see him today. He beat non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2003. Needless to say, he's lived a very full, inspiring life. As you regular listeners know, Jamie and I have two physical boys who are becoming very curious about playing football. And we just did a podcast where we kind of walked through our thought process of, are we going to let them play? So be sure to check that one out. And one question we really weren't qualified to answer about our kids and football, though, it's really, what does the science say about the youth version of the sport? So I reached out to a friend and a mentor of mine who works at the NFL office. I played with him here in San Diego, Roman Oban. And I asked him for anybody who he may be able to recommend who could speak really intelligently about this topic. And he recommended Merrill, who wrote a book, and it's called Brainwash, The Bad Science Behind CTE and the plot to destroy football. Now, you parents out there, I highly recommend reading that book if you want a clear picture on the state of head trauma and research with youth football. Also, check out Merrill's Brainwash podcast at merrillhodge.com. It's M-E-R-R-I-L-H-O-G-E.com. 
I hope you learn a lot and enjoy. Here we go. All right, joining us now on the Finding Center podcast, lucky to have Merrill Hodge. Merrill, let's dive right into this. You were the first guy ever in the NFL to have had to medically retire due to post-concussion syndrome. Take me through that moment and kind of what transpired over the next 18 or 19 months until that neurocognitive function improved. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, Nick, you know, if I, if you go back to my career, people always say concussions ended my career and I correct them. And I'm like, that's incorrect. Um, improper care ended my career. Um, and that is, um, just another misconception that the, the media presents, um, and improperly presents, um, all the time. Um, uh, was I the first player in an NFL history to have a cognitive tool baseline that the Steelers were implemented in 1991 that I retook because I had a baseline and I retook it two weeks after my second concussion within a five-week period. And that was really the deciding factor that I couldn't continue to play. Um, Dr. Maroon felt that um, you got to realize, you got to always realize where you were at that time. Um, that perspective is important because people will use information and all the things that the knowledge they've acquired today and they go, you know, and then they make a judgment in 1994. Well, you got to go back into 1994. What did we really know at that time? How much information did we know? So you have to use that as you go back and look at it. But the one thing was clear in 1994. You didn't get cleared over the phone. That was a guarantee. No, nobody, in fact, the medical perspective could, especially after you'd had severe head trauma where you didn't even know where you were or um, what city you were leaving from because we played on a Monday night in Kansas City. Um, they had to take me from the plane um, to home when we landed. I did an MRI just to make sure I didn't have any bleeding. So I, I had a severe head trauma, and I got cleared over the phone five days later to go play. Wow. So – that's what ended my career, improper care. Um, and, you know, listen, it was an arduous, uh, I, I lost, uh, I went into cardiac arrest. I was in intensive care for several days. I, uh, uh, the cognitive rehab back then was, we're going to give you two years and see how you, how you do it. That's actually all they had. You know, now they do a treatment plan for you for a cognitive plan and a, and a training plan to get you back after they've evaluated what area of the brain you've been traumatized in. And I've witnessed this in my own son who actually slipped and fell in a shower <laughs> before four days before his bowl game, which is another piece of information, I think to open people's widen their scopes and get them to realize that head trauma can happen anywhere. The leading cause of head trauma in this country is tripping and falling. Before you start going, you know, it's not tripping fall. Let me just make something clear. Everybody's eligible. There's not a person on the planet that's not eligible to do that. The second leading cause um, is objects that you struck your head your head, head on, right? You know, you hit you on a cupboard, you know, a door, I mean, a, the hatchback of a vehicle. I mean, there's a whole host of things. That's the second leading cause. It's not even in sports. So don't pull, well, pull a blind eye to like, oh, I'm not going to let my kids play sports because I don't want them to get – a concussion and meanwhile the environment that they play and live in there's a greater chance there so wouldn't it be better to know a how to care for the injury and what things are available today that maybe weren't available that weren't clearly available back in in the in the 90s but they really gave me two years it took me i always tell you i'll thank espn for my job because 
that cognitive challenge probably saved me. You know, I went through a series of depression. I was seeing, I was in counseling. I mean, it was, I was really a train wreck for the last few, my, once my career ended for the next few months. And my career ended during the season, which made it, I think, even harder um, because watching what you'd love doing and what you should be doing and physically you could do it, just cognitively you couldn't was a, was a challenge. Um, but it took a couple of years and thank goodness for, um, happened to learn different things that I think helped me cognitively um, repair myself um, and get myself to where I eventually worked my way out of that. But it was a long and arduous process that, quite honestly, does not exist today, especially if you get your A, you have protocols that are in place. You care for that injury properly. And keep in mind, that doesn't happen. Just that doesn't mean just in sports. Shoot, John Saunders, one of the legends at uh, ESPN struggled with this for years because he tripped in the studio hit his head um and it wasn't until i got him to um in pittsburgh upmc with mickey collins that they finally identified where he was vulnerable what he needed to do is repair the cognitive treatment they gave him and physical treatment they gave him finally got him out of the fog that he'd been in for so many years so um knowing that there's treatments available for your kids if it were to happen i think is the most important thing for parents to realize because it could happen in a whole host of ways and it's not doom or gloom i mean they're not going to have cognitive and emotional disorder later in life there's no scientific evidence of that that's a narrative that has been misused and abused by boston university to scare people um, into fear and to drive them away from sports especially football when there's absolutely no scientific evidence to back their claims. Take me through that because all of the narrative that we're hearing is kind of the mania, the hysteria around head trauma and football. And you see the numbers nationally of youth football and high school football continuing to dwindle out here in San Diego on the coast. And when I tell people that thinking about getting my eight-year-old involved in the game and tackle football when he's eligible in third grade, they look at you like you got three eyeballs on your head because of the narrative, as you describe it, coming from the media and really being driven from Boston University. How did did, all all that happen? Well, um, (laughs) we can take a whole podcast (laughs) to lay that one one out. But if you really really, uh, break it down to, you know, I don't know if you saw the Washington Post, um, did a big article on Bennett Amalu, who was the guy that everybody, that they did the movie Concussion on, yes. all right? Well, there can't be a more egotistical, greedy, arrogant, self-centered human being than that guy. And what's interesting in the, in the article, Ann McKee was talking about all these things that he has done to abuse science and misuse science. She's doing the same thing. She's doing the exact same thing that he is doing. It is... Boston University and the CT Center is literally one of the most corrupt scientific departments in this country. It has abused and misused science in the most grotesque manner, which now leads to who's responsible to make those people accountable that are doing that. Um, The NIH, you know, that just is responsible to allow this to go on. And before I go, when I talk about when I say somebody that is um, corrupt and even criminal, with what they have done, um, you got to go, okay, well, how do you know that? Okay, here's how I know. There's a, there's a big meeting in Paris, okay, in Europe. The entire world is going. The scientific world's coming there to beat. Do you know what they're meeting on? 
they're meeting on to they're all meeting to find consensus of CTE. Okay, now if you don't know what consensus means, here's what they're they're convening on. They're convening on and deciding is this pattern, this tau pattern CTE a disease? What would be the stages of that disease? Now you're like, wait a minute, we already know it's a disease. Um, it's already been um, talked about as if there's staging. That's my point. Uh, no, it has not been done. None of it has been done. In fact, they have not completed any of the scientific footers or standards that you would make a young high school kid do your you'd flunky or her. If they did that, if they brought this research in the manner in which um, Boston University is selling it, you'd be like, you get an F. You, got, you, you can't do uh, incomplete work like this. You can't sell stuff like this. And first of all, what are you selling? Think about it. You're a scientific department. What are you selling? They have a PR department. They get millions of dollars every year for creating a problem. First of all, what is the problem? Here, I'll give you just uh, another little – Some these are factual numbers too. Like, everything I'm telling you, Nick, I'll give you at the end of the day, I'll give fam, um, your listeners, viewers, places they can go find this information. I encourage you to read it all yes. because going back to what your initial question was, you know, a parent looks at you with three eyes. I'd first I'd turn that parent and go, let me ask you this. What do you know? Tell me what you really know about um, CTE, concussions, head trauma. Where did you find your information? Yeah, they read a headline. And then if you're not going to let – exactly right. Yeah. And, and that's, they don't know. They don't have their facts straight. They don't have their information straight. And I guarantee you there's a, there's a high chance that they don't want their son or daughter playing some type of contact sport. But I would almost put my money on it. They might, they're probably riding a bike without a helmet on. <laughs> there's a greater danger of a kid you know, having serious head trauma or danger – or death on a bike without a helmet, you know, or they jump on a trampoline or go on a roller coaster ride. I mean, all of those things could be dangerous for your kids. Of course. Um, so the best part is to really understand, you know, if it does happen, ways that we can take care of it. And, and it's our responsibility. My whole goal with this whole agenda, and this this isn't this isn't the start of it. In 1989, I did a helmet safety campaign. With Jose Chico Lean, who was a, a pirate, and Zarley Zalapsi, who was a hockey player in Pittsburgh. The helmet safety campaign we launched on the Today Show after we played the New England Patriots on a Sunday afternoon. The campaign was to encourage parents to put helmets on their kids when they rode a bike, rollerbladed, or skateboarded. Because of all of these tragic deaths that were happening from kids who were just hitting their head on the curb, from just tripping, I mean, falling over on a bike. Um, they're just starting to learn how to do things on a in a wheel of activity and that trip and fall and major brain trauma or death. Now, this is if you go back and look at all the numbers in the 70s, 80s, and even really through the early 90s versus what exists today, it's like it almost wipes it off the map because what? People are putting helmets on their yes. kids now. It's illegal in they're a lot of states, all... I'm sure, to ride exactly. a bike without a helmet if you're a child. Right. Right. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't say, let's get rid of bikes. Not one person, I'm a medical doctor that I sat in and we met with and we put this campaign together. Did we say get rid of bikes? How do you make it better and safer? And let me tell you this. If football was dangerous, I would never have let – I mean there's dangerous from a perspective of that you're going to have some cognitive disorder later in life from playing youth sports. There's no way I let my son play at 8-7. There's no way. Okay. I don't, let, I don't let him, and I, I clearly won't come on here. I couldn't come on here and, and live um, in peace and have a conscience if I thought there was some high risk. The value that sports brings to our kids, 
the environment that exists, as long as you have product, the right protocols in place, um, the right equipment that should be fitted correctly, the right instruction that people should know about. It's the safest environment we've had in the history of sports. Not to- if you wanted to pick an era to play sports, it would be today. Oh, yes. Not 50 years ago when we didn't drink water, we didn't take care of head trauma, our equipment was paper mache to what exists today. It would be today. Today is the greatest uh, era in the history of sports to have our kids active and involved in all kinds of sports. Now, if you will, take me through your thought process of getting your kids involved in tackle football, kind of the timeline that you allowed for that because I mean that was the real reason that I reached out to you is because my wife and I are having this conversation we're weighing the pros and the cons but the one thing that I didn't have was the science so I reached out to my buddy our buddy Roman Oban who was my mentor his kids now playing college football and I said who can speak intelligently about this and he said Merrill Hodge so here we are take me through the thought process I mean other than the science how did you weigh out whether you're going to let your kids into the sport well, the first thing that I always talk to all parents about when they're 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 struggling with this decision, I'm like, okay, do they want to play? Yes, that's the first thing. I go, do they want to play? That's like the the lead. I think I'm gonna go back to Bo. Bo was wearing me out. That's my son. He, I mean, I was like Bo. I go, you know, he listen. He's already in the backyard playing with no instruction and no equipment. So I'm like, okay, wait. I got. Let me ask the. Uh, well, before I get to that. Do they want to play? You know, then I do look at, you know, um, the physical size of a kid. Okay. That still doesn't say I won't let them play, but then the environment that I put him in or the coaches that are going to coach him, do they know how to, cause listen, I coached youth football for 15 years. I, I know I've been involved in youth football. In 2009, I sat in front of Congress and pleaded for them. Here's a piece of history for you. Pleaded for them to get protocols for all sports ages 8 to 18 because we were doing nothing for the 99% of our athletes which exists from 8 to 18, but we do it for the NCAA and the NFL. We don't do it here. So I only share that with you because I do have a lot of experience from this perspective. I've seen every aspect of it. So coaching is important that if I'm just going to – I don't want to just dump my kid off and let him go. um, I don't care what sport it is. Do they know what they're teaching? You know, are they they trained to do what they're doing? Let's say your son is, because I had kids like this, who was just the smallest kid on the team, okay, but he wants to play. So I'll create an environment for him to play. And a guy named James Hinkle, he's a great story. He's no bigger than a minute, okay? You know, if you got chapstick, if you got chapstick in your pocket, he's about as big as a chapstick on the stick. I'm just like, he was tight. But this kid wanted to play. So what I did, but he couldn't, listen, he couldn't match up. Like, I never wanted him to go against Bo. Right. You know, um, even though Mike Bo wasn't, my son wasn't like some astronomical giant. He was just a physically gifted kid. So I put him at wide receiver and corner. And we just kind of played him out on the perimeter. Um, but we taught him how to play the game. And to, when you teach kids how to play the game, um, this is just another thing I think is very important when you're thinking of um, choices. You know, um, people go, oh, I want to play flag because that's safer. No, it's not. There's actually more injuries in flag because they have no equipment on. And keep in mind, all of these kids learn how to run around and play the sport, okay? They're going to trip and fall and bang into each other. If they're playing flag, if you do not have a headgear on, I would never let my kid play flag without having headgear on. I, and listen, I think flag is an awesome option for kids, but don't think they're not going to have head trauma. I've seen most some of the most severe head trauma with kids in flag who have no headgear on. 
Because if you think for two seconds that they're not going to collide or accidentally run into each other when the ball is in the air and somebody's going to catch it, you are madly mistaken. It will happen and it's going to happen. So why wouldn't you protect them the best you, you could? Um, so flag was really part so we could get kids involved. More kids, the better. That's where I go back to how what environment exists today. But as we finish the things that I've always looked at and talked to parents about because they bring their kids you know, to me and I can tell the first there's oftentimes they don't want to be there. I'm like, that's a problem. I go, they don't want to be here, but they do like A, B and C. So feed that passion. It just, I mean, football's not for everybody. And do you just like baseball is not, did you have those tough conversations with the parents that would bring out a kid sure, who didn't yeah. want to be there? Nick, I'm telling you every year I got our first day of stretching we're stretching. I'm like, he don't want to be here. I can tell by the way he stretched. I'm like, he do not want, he does not want to be here. Yes. I go over and talk to him. I go, hey, I go, are you excited to be here? Nope. <laughs> it's like, uh, I go, what would you like to do? He, he gave me a list of things, right? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk to your mom and dad. You know, I talked to your mom and dad. I said, hey, you know, uh, you know, Nick doesn't want to be here. Oh, I know. I brought him here because you're here. I'm like, oh, God. Okay, listen, my job's already tough enough. But to have some kid now that doesn't want to play, I go, we're just asking to get him hurt. Yeah. I like, listen, but he does like A, B, and C. So, I know you might think he needs to be a football player, but that's not what he wants to do. But he does like A, B, and C. Let him do A, B, and C. Feed that passion. Maybe he'll come around to football, but put him in an environment they don't want to be in, I think. I've only seen trouble. I've never seen good things come from it. Um, but then I go back to, you know, the environment you drop him into. You know, you got to be well aware that, you know, that, uh, I mean, do your homework. Are the coaches, are they – to have protocols in place and not just for head trauma, I'll ask all injuries, you know, hydration is a, I mean, that's the one thing we can clearly, uh, there should be no deaths from hydration. If we're smart and use our heads, right. And all the information we write from being hydrated, the heat that exists and all of the indexes that we have at our disposal before we get to play, how do they handle those things? You know, as a parent, go ahead and go watch, you know, don't, don't get, there's a way to address a coach, you know, um, and I always go to the head coach. I, one of my rules as a coach was I met with all the parents and kids together. So we all heard the same thing. Things get lost in translation. So I didn't like that. Yes. So I brought everybody together. Give me two weeks. If you don't like, you know, how much your kid is playing, then come talk to me. Cause, but give me two weeks. It's two games. You know, I need two games to really get everybody equal time and play that might not happen in one game but in two weeks where you're going to see a pretty good balance of everything and if there's anything else that needs to change come talk to me and um not to the coaches and not to your kid and i never had a problem you know i never had a problem um i had i had parents come talk to me when they you know wanted that ideas and suggestions for their kids wanted to do different things um and i always listened to them and tried to accommodate especially if i thought it was it was reasonable sometimes it's not reasonable um, and as a coach, you have to make that decision, but, um, you listen, if they're passionate to do it, they really want to do it. Um, make sure, you know, from equipment setting to the coaches know what they're doing, um, to how well the organization is run. And listen, with the information that exists today, you should be able to check those things off and those things are in place. I'm going to tell you this, they're safer there than in your backyard running around with no equipment on and no instruction. That's what we're doing on a nightly basis with my boys. I got an eight-year-old and I got a six-year-old. And I'm telling you, every free minute we get, we're playing basically tackle football with no gear on. And I, I just – it's really difficult to right. hold them back. Now, there's a hilarious anecdote in the book when you're talking about in your years of coaching youth football that a lot of the kids were getting hurt out at recess and they couldn't even make it to oh. the practice field. 
heck, I'm telling you, I, this ain't a lie. I mean, I don't, I didn't make that up. I mean, I'm like, it was the second week. We're in the, we're about three weeks into the season. Um, this has happened. Like we practiced on Tuesday and Thursday. Okay. So Tuesday, one of my, my kids came, I, I can try to remember which order it was, but um, I, I want to say, he, well, whatever injury he had, he couldn't, he wasn't there practice, got hurt recess and they were doing something on the monkey bar. So the next practice, um, like he's got a cast on it. And he, I'm like, what happened to you? I go, nah, I broke my wrist playing um, kickball. And I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Because, you know, I had, I had like, say, 25 kids. I'm like, here's what we do. Don't anybody go to recess or lunch. Okay, so until <laughs> four weeks, so the next four weeks, because we got to face the season. I'm like, so I'm like, that was not, cause listen, <laughs> you kids, you active kids, there's a chance that you could get hurt in a whole host of ways. Oh, yeah. And listen, the last thing, and listen, my, my son broke his, his wrist too. We had coached for seven years, and I'd really built these kids up to where they, they ran the team. You know, they were in charge. I mean, my, my quarterbacks called their own plays. Wow. I mean, also, I've never got that in youth football. I, I do a lot. I talk to a lot of coaches, and I'm like, would you have ever wanted to call plays as a kid? And every one of them say yes. I go, let me ask you this. Do you let your kids call plays now? And none of them say yes to that. They're like, no. I'm like, wait a minute. This ain't about you. I mean, I'm telling you what, it, the greatest joy I ever had was watching, you know, I had my, my son play quarterback, but I had more than had him and uh, another kid play quarterback. They all called their own plays. By the end, I gave them times to do that. But by the time we we're at the end of the year, they were calling the whole game. They were doing the things awesome. and defensively too. And it was, I'm telling you, it was some of the greatest experience I ever had in sports was coaching my kids. And you ask, you know what, you tell I me, mean, parents should get involved because at the end of the day, every parent is a gatekeeper in a youth environment. Eight to 14, man, it's about the community and it's about parents, you know, which leads me to my other problem. My biggest problem, I have three problems with youth sports, parents, parents, and parents. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, not the kids. Kids are not the problem. You know, very few, if any, with my coaches. And it was always, you know, parents. I mean, we, we forget, you know, uh, we forget what the real objective is. It is about developing kids and letting kids create an environment where they can have fun. And everybody talks about winning. I am a big proponent that winning is important. However, the most important thing I believe to teach kids is how to win. Like, if they, what was the things that helped you and the things you be successful in life or successful in business? First thing you had better be do, better do is you better prepare. You better come prepare. Well, that's why we practice. And if you teach kids the value in practice, the value in being accountable, the value in working together, um, you develop develop self-esteem, you develop all these things with kids, you teach that within the structure of your practices, well, then guess what? You get to develop skills that's going to translate into life's work. Are you going to win them all? No. No, but I'll tell you this. What you teach kids, especially when I was telling my kids one of the most great, great, greatest things when we have struggles or we face adversity. What is the first thing we should really do? Let's self-evaluate. It's the greatest marker in making change and creating the things that will help us be better. But if you start pointing a finger and blaming somebody, we're not going anywhere. You get to young kids. I don't know of any environment that you get to really teach that, you know, um, consistently and with a group. 
and that they translate into life's work. You know, I got kids now. I'll go, I'll go to a, a parent somewhere, and I have kids that I did football camps, which I started in 1991, who have kids your age going, you know, playing football now. And this is, and they talk about the experiences they learned in our camps and the things that they developed that translate to life that they want to pass back on. And I just think if you think of it in those terms, this is not about winning it, being the champion. You know, if we do all those things and we're good enough, we'll be the champion. We will be. That's right. And there was years we, 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 we won it all. And there was years that we were the uh, bottom barrel, <laughs> but we still talk the same things and develop the same thing with our kids. And that's what they eventually left with, you know, Merrill, what does the science tell us about kids in tackle football? Are they, generating enough force to do damage in all your time absolutely absolutely no scientific evidence to that none none um what you here's what um you're referring to um in fact i'm trying to pull it up here because um, dr cummings and i were just talking about this yeah doctor it's called the early age of exposure yeah dr um, cummings is the doctor age. from boston university who university, you teamed yeah. up with to write the book brainwashed yeah yep and he is you know just absolutely great. here's what great about him he coaches flag and tackle. <laughs> so he's, awesome. he's, you know, he's, yeah, he's a part of it with his son. Um, so, um, and he read all the scientific literature, you know, anybody that's listening to you. And then, and as I encourage everybody to be skeptical, go ahead and be skeptical of me. However, read it all. Don't just go read one paper and think, you know, what you're talking about. And when you, when I hear paper, when you hear paper, it isn't some article in sports illustrated because somebody did this to me i go you got to go read the scientific literature that exists in the journals that you can find and you have i have it on brainwashbook.com i can help anybody get to it we put it in the book so it's not a mystery we used all their research and science to explain the facts of what the science really says do not send me a sports illustrated article because that happened uh, i did a, an interview with the um I can't remember what I did the interview on, but I said, if you can find the scientific literature that is contradicting what I'm telling you, send it to me. Somebody sent me a Sports Illustrated article and go, there you go. I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you don't even know what the scientific literature is. Oh, my, I mean, that's your whole that, that's some of our problem. People don't know what that that is. But you're talking about the early age of exposure. Here's ultimately what they did. OK, and this and keep in mind in this paper, in the conclusion, it states you cannot use this scientific research to change policy or talk about safety and use sports. It's in there. And they use this to go use legislation. So then you got to question your legislature. Did you even read it? Because it's even it's a warning in there. You can't use it. Why can't you use it? Well, here's what they did. They basically did this. Nick, you and I played in the NFL. OK, let's say we're both 70 years old. We take a test, cognitive test. Yep. You do better than I do. They then ask you, when did you start playing football, Nick? And you go 12. They ask me, when did I play foot, start playing football? I say eight. They go, aha, you don't want to play tackle football until age 12 because you did better on your cognitive test than I did. Oh, geez. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That OG's there. Just now, if you, anybody knows a little bit about science, Here's one thing. You, now, this is elementary science. They, 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 they would take your paper and put a big fat F plus on it for one reason. Where's your baseline? Where is your cognitive baseline for Nick and Merrill at these ages that you can recruit? Because guess what? Maybe we take a test both at 8 and base at 12. And guess what? Maybe you do better than I do. So guess what that test later on in life means? Nothing. And guess what? We're just going to skip high school and junior high and 60 years of life 
and we're going to say it's youth football. And everything that, that is almost moronic. Everything that goes into it, it's lifestyle factors, it's genetics. There's so many things that factor into it. By the time you get to seventy, it's kind of that compounding. That's Nick, first that's thing that they like. Listen, listen. Um, my wife has a uh, relative of theirs, fifty years of age, female, early onset dementia, age fifty. I got two guys, dear friends of mine, golfed all the time together. One is seventy now. One is around. 64 um onset i mean bad dimension now none of them ever played sports and i was like okay if you had played football the first thing that boston university will blame is football there is no scientific evidence that because i was going to share this with in the medical journal this uh, these are i mean i'm not i'm not making stuff up these are facts you can find this out you can verify this 300 cases in the medical journal, just over 300 cases of people who have the pattern CT. And I use the word pattern because in our conversation way back then, the consensus has not been done. It is technically not a disease because they have not finished the steps of science. It is a tau pattern that they have discovered. One third, one third of the 300 cases in the medical journal who have this pattern, tau pattern, never played sports never had a history of head trauma and never had a concussion. None of that existed. So how do you explain the 100? The one thing that is very clear, can't blame sports. You can't even bring sports into the equation. They're not even part of it. So it's got to be something else. You can't keep blaming football, but see, Boston University doesn't want you to know about that. They don't present that stuff about it. And in the Washington Post, they start to get, they're starting to get exposed. The dam is starting to crack. They don't want anybody to go to Paris and vote on this consensus because they've already been labeling a disease and saying that you had that there's certain stages of this. There is none. In my book, we have five cases where 11, think about this, 11 neuropathologists, and keep in mind, all of their credentials would bury Ann McKees. She doesn't come close to their history and their education and their study of the brain and brain disease. Okay, not even close. She'd be on that, she'd be like at the very bottom. These 11 are superior credentials than, than hers. Five different cases, 11 neutral neuropathologists. All look at these brains from these kids who, um, the, these people who had had, the, I think, suicide or the death, the deaths that had happened, but they had played football at some point, right? None of them can find the pattern of tau CTE. All brains go to BU, and guess what happens? And McKee happens to find it in all of them, not one of them, every one of them. And the ones that she has looked at that have it, she will not let anybody else look at. Oh, no. Dude, I don't know. I'm just telling you the facts. That doesn't happen. And if she says she's verified, here's what she's done. It's like me looking at this towel pattern and going, hey, Nick, that's towel, right? And you go, yeah, okay, I just had you verify it. Here's what the 11 did. They all took separate slides, separate tissues, did their own stain, staining in their own studies. They didn't take, oh, one person's word. Go, yeah, that's all. That. They did their own individual work on it. They don't even know that the other um, 10 are working on these cases because these cases were different. These come from all different cases, too. None of them could find it. It goes that. Now, keep in mind, first of all, all the scientific step work hasn't been done to make it a disease or staging. And therefore, there's no symptoms from it. You can't have symptoms if you don't have a disease. 
So they haven't even finished those steps, yet they talk about symptoms. There is no symptoms from CTE. It is yet to be accomplished because they haven't done the consensus on it. But somebody has depression, they go, oh, that must be CTE. Antonio Brown, people like, we must have CTE. Really? Let me ask you this. Uh, what do you know about CTE to say that? Could he have some mental disorder and function? Absolutely. But here's the problem with mental health. We blame, blame, blame. We fear, fear, fear versus, hey, wait, there's ways to help people, okay? I just told you about any type of head trauma, concussion that you might have in any environment. Great website for people. Rethinkconcussions.com. It is an awesome tool for you to get help and treatment if you need it. So awesome. let's leave. I mean, let's make sure that we leave yeah, we'll put people that, with we'll put ways to help. That's great. You also have mytransformations.com. That is a magnetic treatment therapy. And these are all non-invasive, non-medicated too, okay? No medic medicine in this that helps people with depression and anxiety and things that you can have on a mental health aspect. Let's get people to realize there's tools and treatments for you that's not medicine. Therefore, I think we get more people open enough to start talking about it. And guess what? Any type of cognitive or cognitive disorder you may have in your life, Okay, let's not be ashamed of that because that can happen. And a lot of the trauma that exists and can cause this in kids, and I'm saying trauma, I use the word trauma. These are things or trauma things that can affect your, your kids later in life. This is a scientific fact. This is a physical fact. These type of things, any type of bad parenting, sexual abuse, bullying, physical abuse, some emotional abuse of some kind, bullying neglect, um, a death in a family, um, um, moving in from home to home, those things can affect a kid's uh, life later, um, uh, emotional and cognitive development later in life if they have had that as a young kid. And there's ways to care for that and treat that. There is no scientific evidence if our kids play contact sports from 7 to 11 or 12 to 22 they're going to have any issues later in life. None exist. And to wrap this all up, people need to understand that here's the brain development. The brain is 99% critical development is 99%, excuse me, 90% developed by age five. From five to 22, it is not fully developed till age 22. So from age five to 22, it is still developing. Can you tell me why age 12, it is okay to start playing contact football? The one thing I think we can all agree on, the development of the brain is important at all time, right? Yes. So why would you pick age 12? First of all, anybody who picks age 12, they go back, go back to that test. That's how they come up with that stupid test. Something magically happens at age 12. Something happens around 12, 13, that is very <laughs> critical in our, in our kids' lives. That's right. Puberty. Yep. And now, you, now, now it's okay. Now it is okay to start hitting and con having contact when you have kids that are bigger and stronger. Absolutely not. Why would it be okay? From you should actually should say, well, you shouldn't play from ages twelve to twenty-two. Then you should actually play any contact sport till after twenty-two if you really want to protect people. There is no scientific evidence that the contact between seven and eleven. And I'm telling you, I don't need any scientific. Um, evidence to back this the contact and collisions that exist are inferior 
till you get to around age 12 or 13. Then the, then the hits are a little more severe. You know, they hit and you're like, whoa, well, I can tell that uh, we got some, we got some, we got some big boys out there now. They're starting to pop because I tell people all the time, I see these kids went from diapers uh, to shaving in like, <laughs> in like a matter of, a matter of seconds. And so when you look, when you have to understand the whole development of the brain and then you start have to ask yourself, well, why is it okay at age 12? Well, first of all, there is no danger for your kids in any of those time frames. Now that when I say that doesn't mean you don't take care of head trauma. That doesn't mean it's okay to have a concussion. I'm not saying that. I want, I sued a doctor because of improper care. I've been in front of Congress pleading for protocols. I know the value of care, but if we have, the equipment is 100% better than you played. Okay. Oh, by Today, far. Today, that, that, right, that helmet is mass improvement on what has happened with our helmet. But that does not mean you can't have a concussion. Okay. But if it does, care for it pre- properly. Don't let your kid go back to, I don't care what environment it happened. Yeah. And I, I make sure they're properly. You used to have a two week rule minimum. You, well, you, if you look at what I right, you if you look at what I, the protocol I put into place, it is very similar to what exists today. There's just more tools now that we can evaluate and look at the kid and make sure that they're okay before they return to play, which are all great things. I didn't have that um, when I established this. I was just like, here's what I had learned from my own experience, and talking to people that were some of the great minds in the world about brains. I'm like, hey, listen, when you have a concussion. Like, what is the dangerous window? And really, I kept coming up. Everyone's like, well, two weeks is really, you know, unless it's just real severe. And then you're going to know if it's real severe. But most concussions, now this is back in, you know, the, the late 90s. Keep in mind, okay? This is not what exists today in 2020, in the 90s, when I'm doing football camps. And then, so I thought, well, you know what? And then all of them are like, gosh, the best thing, don't let them go back to the environment. Because that was the big mistake happened. I just kept returning back to play after you had one. I'm like, okay, so... We're going to remove them, and they're not going to play the next week. And here's what I, I start out every year telling them. Football is a tough game for tough people, but it's also an intelligent game for smart people, and we're going to blend them. We're going to work them together, guys. That means if you get hurt, and keep in mind in 2003, that, that oh, I'm a tough guy thing was, you probably dealt with that a little bit. You know, oh, we, yeah. we play through tough, we play through injuries. This is not one you play through. And we had to, we had to break that chain. And we had to implement that mindset early in our kids' life. Like my kids now that are out, you know, my, my, my son's 23. We got all these kids, you know, they could be coaching right now. That's how they will teach their kids. It's, it is a tough game for tough people, but it's also a smart game for intelligent people. So we're going to handle it right. So when it happened, and keep in mind, it only happened twice. And ironically, happened at age 13 and 14 with two of my kids. And guess who was who was the one who wanted me to let them play the week that they couldn't play? Came up and talked to me. They're like, man, he's he's looking good. He's running around and yeah. he's got so Parents. much energy. Mom, yeah. mom, <laughs> mom, mom. I was like, and I was like, I and I go, everything you just told me, it, I love it. I love hearing that. But he's not playing. He will play the following week, though. Especially if he keeps that up. That's why I want to hear. So thank you. Oh, good for you. So. So, you know, getting, getting involved and being able to give back and help create uh, a fun, safe environment, uh, the safest environment we can, we can create for our kids is, I think, what it's about when we move, we move on in life and we look back and go, boy, this, this could have been different and better. So instead of pointing fingers and blaming and saying, 
it's like the, I always say, it's like the pilgrims, you know, let's say the pilgrims could be alive today. And a lot of the pilgrims and they were doing articles on them and news stories and they're complaining that they didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. People would be going, but they, but they didn't exist then. Well, no kidding. So don't sit there and point fingers when something didn't exist. Right. All right. Just let's, let's be proactive in our thinking. Let's empower people with all the facts and truth and let's get them excited about really what exists out there. There's more great things that exist for mental health. It's not medication, um, a concussion. If it does happen, what should exist in your sporting arena that kids need to be active and involved? The leading cause, the leading issue in this entire country with our kids, unfortunately, because this narrative has a black cloud over everything, is obesity. The sugar consumption and uh, the inactivity of our kids. And today we're the number one country in the entire world in obesity with our kids. And it's getting worse and worse. And when you think of obesity, obesity is not, and sugar consumption is not like contributors to just diabetes. When you're talking about young age, it develop, it talks of, it affects bone density, ligand development, skull, skull structure, brain health. Brain health. It just, every, every, every organ you could possibly imagine, it affects. And to, so to have your help develop good lifestyle for your kids, good eating habits and being active is really one of the most important things you can do as a parent so that they can maintain a, a long, healthy lifestyle. If not, you're going to have kids at a young age, not just with diabetes, but hip replacements, knee issues, back issues, health issues. And that's a real problem in this country. My, my oncologist, I was there with him the other night. They are trying to being in the oncology world. They have an epidemic of colon cancer going on right now in ages 30. They're trying to get the colonoscopy shifted from 50 to 30. Leading contributor to that, sugar. The sugar consumption in America, you talk about, if you want to talk about corrupt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, 19, in 1980, the government came out. I, I can't remember exactly what, what, what it was in the 80s, like 86, 85, 86, something like that. And they had their first dietary requirement in the history of our country. And what did they tell you? Get rid of fat. Fat's causing the problem with cholesterol and all your heart problems. When in reality, it was really the sugar. Sugar was the leading cause of everything. But the scientists and the corrupt sugar industry, they manipulate science. They create this narrative. Now, if you just have some nutritional background, the first thing you should have thought of was like, hey, wait a minute. We need fat. In fact, our brain, it's vital. Now, there's good saturated and unsaturated. I understand you need the right kind of fat, but it's a nutritional requirement for our health, That's right. especially our internal organ health. We have no requirement for sugar, but we do have, they do, they do put out limits, like how much you shouldn't exceed. So put it this way, and this is why I say it's the poison of America. It is the most destructive chemical on this planet. It exceeds alcohol and opioids in the whole bit. That's just why, because everybody can do what I'm about to tell you. If you have two bucks, you can go to any store and buy a Coke and a smile, a Mountain Dew and a smile, and there's 55 to 60 grams of sugar in there. And nobody needs that even on one day. That's true. And if you And you can do it over and over and over. There's no law against it. There's no age limit to it, and you can do it over and over and over. Now, do I, does that mean you can't have a Coke or you don't have a Mountain Dew or something with sugar? Absolutely not. But you, when you have two and three a day and you have them daily and you're not doing some type of activity and eating some other balanced food, 
that's going to be a problem one day. You're poisoning it's going to haunt you one day. It's going to haunt you one day. So you, I'm surely trying to, you know, in the book, we, and, you know, we do talk about the science and the facts, of, but we do really empower people with all this information too, that they should know about and could know about the sporting activity. There's kids want to play. It's not just about football. It's about all sports. Um, it's about parents being empowered. Um, and this, you know, you said a while ago, a parent that looks at you cross-eyed to me to that, that's just, that's no different than bullying. You know what? We don't allow that with kids. We don't allow that behavioral kids. So I'm going to tell you this unacceptable. You tell you, you, you stick your nose in your own backyard and you stay there. You, you, you chose a reason that you don't want your kids to play tackle football. And that's just fine. That's fine. That's what about being empowered about, but don't you judge me and don't look at me cross-eyed, especially when more than likely you're 100% ignorant. 100%. Because I'll tell you this, even in the media, I never ran into one person who did a story on my book or was going to talk about the science that actually read any of the science. That's, Not one. that's terrible. It's disgusting. That's bad journalism. Because Kristen, oh my, it, it's, it's, it's grotesquely deliberate ignorance when you talk about journalism. Kristen Brennan, USA Today, that's exactly what she did. She's going to do an interview on my book. Called her up. We said at the time, um, she asked me questions. I cannot believe you of all people are denying CT. I'm like, now, Kristen, we're going to do an interview on the book. Did you read the first chapter at least? Because <laughs> I do discuss it. I do discuss it right there. And that question is unacceptable because uh, you pretty much have the answer in the book. Clearly, I, I, I know it exists and I know what it is. And it's a talent. So she goes, well, I didn't read the book. I said, time out. We're going to oh, do man. an interview on the book. And you didn't do it. You didn't read it. <laughs> I was like, well, you are deliberate. And I have Dr. Cummings on there. She's actually got uh, Kristen Winsky, who's a PhD. He's not even a doctor. Okay, He didn't study science. He has no background in science. Dr. Cummings has forgotten more about brains than that guy will ever know. He is trying to tell um, Kristen Brennan what the real facts of the science are. She wants nothing to do with it. I said, so Kristen, here's what's going to happen. You're actually going to write information that is, A, not truthful, you're not going to present all the facts to your readers. That's disgusting from a journalist's perspective. That is not your job. Your job as a journalist is to find a good one with integrity. Let's find all the facts presented to the people. Let's give them all the information, especially when I have it being given to me right now. Now nah, she wants nothing to do with it. Uh, what a shame. Now, last, lastly, disgusting. what are your thoughts on states like California trying to ban tackle football up until high school? Well, you know, I sit on the California Alliance group there and the legislation that they just passed. I mean, it's going to be hard to, to ban that. What they did do and what we did do is we really presented information and ways to go about practicing and playing and being responsible and accountable for protocols and care for hydration and all the other things that I just talked about. So um, that's being proactive in it. And actually, California is ahead of everybody. You know, they had actually added that legislation and that has been. And actually will be the standard for a lot of states. And it's really no different. Um, I think they actually have more live practice time, which I think was like 30 minutes than I ever had. You know, which I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with 30 minutes live practice. I forget the exact time. For, but here's how we practice. We had we practice Tuesday, Wednesday. And I had one live 15-minute drill once a week. And I usually had it around Thursday. And it was a true football uh, drill it wasn't you stand there and we stand and we run to each other like you see that what video Oklahoma every now drill. and then i mean that's 
Right. I mean, that, that's just archaic to do stuff like that's that. Toughness training. And you're right. And we did not do that. Um, we didn't have any practice like that. I mean, we have blockers, we have tack, we have blockers, we have, um, we have tacklers, we have, we have a bunch of people in the drill. Um, but we work on getting off blocks, making blocks. Cause people act like football is just tackling. That's no, not, <laughs> you got to block people. You got to get off blocks. Yeah. You got to tack people and you got to be able to take on a tackler. And there's ways to teach kids that. And you teach all of those things and you put a drill together where they're all orchestrated together. So there's nobody just running right at each other. It is a true football environment. You have the depths right, the boundaries right, and everybody plays within that structure. And I'm going to just tell you this. Every day I went to practice, and this ain't a lie, every, every, how many kids you think go, can we hit today? Can we hit? <laughs> all of them. <laughs> like, I got, yeah, all of them. All of them want to hit. But, I, was, I, you know, listen, there's still ways to go about teaching, tackling, blocking, all stuff with drills and with equipment, you know, the tire, actually, one of the, the tools of the tire is one of the fabulous tools to teach kids how to tackle. You know, I, I, I launched a, uh, a pro league. Um, you remember Mike Sherman? Yes. Um, head coach yeah. for the green Bay Packers. Yeah, right. He and I launched a, a pro league two years ago called your call football. Well, we ran pro football rules. We played pro football. The The difference in our league was fans called our plays like the mat. It was live mat. Oh, that's fun. We had tech. Yeah. We had a technology and I was a head coach and, um, a cord and the coordinator. So, you know, we had to put what we called a bundle of plays up on the screen, every down and distance. Um, just like Matt, you have three play options, fans vote, majority of vote goes to whatever play that play goes in. It's about a 12 process. I'm sorry, I lost yeah, you there. Gotcha, I said it's, a, it's, a, it's like a 12 or 15 second process. And um, what we did, though, is we never had a live practice getting ready to play games. But we had great coaches. I mean, we had really good coaches and we had great drills. And we taught everybody how to do practice and play in that environment. We have a coaching meeting, staff meeting before the game or a couple of days before the, a week, couple of weeks before the game. People think we need to have a live event or live practice because – the game's going to be terrible. We're not going to tackle anybody. And I and I was like, you know, I and you underestimate your coaching because I'm I'm the watching drills. I go, I, I I just don't think so. And I will tell you this: so we have we had less life practice than I did in youth football. When we played that first game, and I'm telling you, Nick, I've seen a lot of football, been around football for 40 years. It was one of the best tackling performances I've ever seen on both sides of the ball, both I mean both teams. And I like okay, there's just evidence like you can teach the game how to being live all the time. You know, if you really teach it right and all the drills that you can use and all the tools that are available, you can teach the proper things and then put it on display. Whether it's youth football, high school, college, or the NFL. Merrill, thank you so much for this. You've given a couple of great websites for resources, RethinkConcussions.com, and I think the other one you said was MyTransformations.com. Yeah, MyTransformations.com. And then then go to BrainwashedBook.com. You know, that brings um, the book I wrote, but all the science papers, a lot of science papers there, an explanation of them because it's hard to understand it with just a quick podcast. But that's another resource where you can you can get information you know, on where to get more information on, on the science papers and an explanation of the science work and, and what the paper really means. Um, Dr. Cummings does a great job on a bunch of 
different subjects there. So those three things will be really helpful for people and then also that you, are interested. You and Dr. Cummings have podcasts together at MerrillHodge.com. Yeah. Okay. And you can go to MerrillHodge.com too. And that would, that would lead you over to brainwashedbook.com. So it, um, that, that, that link is on there as well. Well, Merrill, thank you so much for this. And really, hopefully people get down to the book and get into the science when making these decisions for their kids. Yeah, well, I, I encourage people to do that. You know, that nobody can make a family decision, but you as a family. And if we're going to rob kids of an opportunity to do something that they might be passionate about, make sure we understand all the facts before we do that. That's all I truly try to encourage parents to do. Understand that. Widen your scope. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff out there you might not know about. But if you understood it, that I think might help you. First of all, empower you. Because then I don't think you live in fear that, like, if my son or daughter get a concussion, is it going to be doom and gloom? And all the things that they can do to repair and help them. Uh, people need to know about that because there's a chance it's going to happen outside of sports, not in sports. Well, thank you, Merrill. We greatly appreciate you and all the information you brought today. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Thanks for getting this out there, brother. Anything I can ever do for you, let me know. And next time I'll be better prepared to do video, all right? Hey, you are all good. Thank you, Merrill. All right, buddy. All right. See you, Nick. Bye-bye. All right, gang, that's all we've got for this episode of the Finding Center podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed doing it. One thing that would really help both of us and other potential new listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with us on social media. I'm at Finding Center Podcast and at Nick Hardwick. And follow, be sure to do this, at hardwick.life for great health information, recipes, and healthy lifestyle tips. And please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy. I like to send specific episodes to people that I keep in mind while doing the podcast. Maybe you could do the same thing while you're listening. Thanks again, guys. Until next time, here's all the health to you.